It's been the most extraordinary manifestation of something I've always believed to be true and proved on, a, on smaller scales many times, that listening to the front line is not a scary thing. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 371. Today is Sunday the 3rd of May 2020. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. This week's interview is with Katz Keeley. Katz is a friend, a member of the Magical Difference Makers group and founder of Beep, a behavioral empowerment platform. She's also responsible for kickstarting and bootstrapping a marvelous initiative designed to help out in this COVID crisis called Frontline Live. Using her skills in networking and pulling people together, using passion and purpose, in short order, Katz has launched this group of people and an open access tool to help unmet needs be identified and resolved. An inspiring action with options for you to participate too. You'll find the show notes on minterdial.com. As ratings and reviews are the lifeblood of any podcast, please consider going to this handy all-in-one ratethispodcast.com forward slash M-D-I-A-L to drop in yours. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all of the next episodes. Now for the interview. Katz Keeley, you and I have been friends for a good number of years now. You're a digital whiz, um, helping people to transform. And uh, you founded this wonderful We Are Beep, helping uh, ideas emerge. So I think uh, it's, it sounds like you have been uh, not only letting an idea emerge, you've put some actions into play. So Katz, tell us what you've been up to. Uh, should I start from the very beginning? It's a very Do. good place to start. Yeah. Um, so quick history of where my thing comes from. So um, uh, created the first open innovation platform um, to try and help big corporations to link in a better way to startups. Realize that actually you can bring the best innovators in the world into corporates and they will get chewed up and spat out by the corporate antibodies. So we started looking at the inside of large organizations, trying to show them how can you use digital to help large corporations be less shit, by which I mean less siloed, more resilient, more, more people-centric to actually allow people to do what people do best, which is to be collaborative and innovative and all those things. Then I got headhunted by the UN, <clears throat> which was very strange. And suddenly I'm in Geneva in a very large corner office, feeling like I've made the big time. This is my moment. And then realize what I've got myself in for. So I've never worked inside a big corporation before. I've only worked for them. And suddenly I'm really senior in the most bureaucratic organization in the world. And then I think, oh my God, I've just made the worst decision I ever made. Why did I give every, everything up to come here? And, <clears throat> and then I think the only way I'm going to make this work is I've spent years and years helping large corporations to go through successful change. If I pull together all of the best bits of that experimentation, we might make something happen. And God knows it can't get any worse than it is now. So, and funnily enough, it worked really well. And it worked really well because I didn't go in there as the big expert telling people how they were going to do things, how we were going to go through a digital transformation. 
I figured out who the change agents were. I brought them together. I made them feel safe. I gave them a platform and uh, asked them what they thought we should do. And so all of the change that happened, which was extremely successful, thank you very much, um, it wasn't about me telling them, it was about them choosing the change and them feeling like they owned the change and them feeling like they had a voice and they could come together to make something better happen. Um, and then I fell in love with behavioral science, met people like Dan Ariely, who is my absolute guru, <clears throat> and understood then more about what makes people tick and um, why people are so resistant to change. And then a few years ago, I decided to stop doing everything else and pull all of my experience into one platform, which is, as you say, called Beep, which is a platform that helps large corporations to go through what I call cultural transformation, real transformation, actually help them to change the way that they operate. And God knows they need it. Um, and then this happens. COVID. This and this, this thing, this alien, you know, this moment in time where everybody is supposedly looking together to look, you know, fearing this kind of alien, this, this hidden enemy, global enemy that we've got. And suddenly all of the organizations that have been talking about transformation for years and years and years and years are suddenly going, holy shit, how do we deal with change? What do we do? Anyway, so that's a kind of preamble. My entire shtick is about the fact that what Beep does is it gives people on the front line within organizations a platform by which they can talk about the little things that aren't working. And if enough people across the organization are talking about the same little problem, we give them the tools by which they can pull together a design thinking workshop and actually find a solution for that little problem. My entire shtick is if you can see the problem, you can solve the problem. If you can share data from the front line, people can really understand what the situation is. Therefore, they can rise up and figure out how to solve those problems. And there's another <clears throat> cats, which is helping somehow anonymizing as well. So you don't necessarily identify it and get chastised for being the bad guy or the bad person in the house because these issues might be patently obvious but no one wants to raise a finger and sometimes that's the challenge from a career standpoint or you know from a uh, let's say a, um, a popularity standpoint so yeah so we, we you can be anonymous but you can't really be anonymous within the beat situation because um you have to take ownership. So if you'd want to drive real and lasting change, you have to give people the knowledge by which they feel it's okay to say when something isn't working. And quite often it isn't because everyone knows there's a problem there, because we are all so busy being busy that we don't see what's in front of our faces lots mm. of the time. We find workarounds. Oh God, it's really annoying. You mention it to somebody, nobody does anything, you find a workaround. And so you've got in every, every large organization, you, you've got this really dysfunctional tapestry of people who are just being busy being busy and actually having to like say put up with the way things are rather than changing the culture so that everyone knows that it's their job to find fixes if you can see a little thing that could be done better we're going to incentivize you to do that and that changes then rather than those problems being something pe people feel fearful about talking about, 
And let's be honest, this is nothing new. I mean, you know, let's look at the Toyota way. 1956, the CEO of Toyota says, if we're going to be the best company on the show for making cars, we need you factory workers to stop just doing. We need you to think about how we can keep getting better. And so that's why they were the, you know, the most profitable kid on the block as far as car manufacturers goes, because actually they built into everybody's job title. Your job is to make absolutely sure we keep getting better and better because everything can be better always. And, and, you, so, and, the, and, the, and this notion that you mentioned before about agency, about having the opportunity to choose and, and to be part of the decision-making, that is a very valuable part uh, and it makes it feel more concrete and they feel like they own the solution as well. Yeah. And, you know, again, looking back to behavioral science, um, if I don't know if you know about the IKEA effect, you yes. almost definitely do. So the, the research shows that if you've had input into building something, into being part of the design of something, you will love that thing more than everything else. So the same thing applies to strategy or to a solution. If you feel that you've been part of changing something and making something and being part of an improvement, you'll make damn sure that thing works, right? Because right, you so have a feeling of ownership of it. Now let's talk about the little problem that you identified and uh, your frontline live project. So um, here I am, digital innovation bird. I'm watching 25,000 tweets come in in March from people who are working as healthcare workers on the front line who do not feel that they're being protected. They do not have the access to the vital equipment that they need to keep them safe on the front line. 25,000 people. Um, that's on, that's on Twitter. Yeah. Which is just one channel. One channel. Not the most popular necessarily. Exactly. At the same time, I keep talking about this. I find this unbelievable that there's this incredible groundswell of makers who are figuring out how to make things and community groups who are coming together to sew things like gowns and um, people like Norman Foster, who's putting people in his company to design and 3D print visors. Um, so, they get, so there's all of this incredible groundswell, this kind of Dunkirk spirit of people going, we can help, we can do something. I, so have, there's a loads of people. I have a little boat, exactly. Um, so there's all this need. Nobody quite knows where the need is because individuals are shouting out to space. And there's all of these people who are creating opportunities to solve that need by making, aggregating, uh, manufacturing, pivoting their companies. So Katzi thinks, well, let's build a platform that's going to show very clearly where the need is. Um, and so... Uh, I reached out to a friend of mine who works at the Centre for Advanced Spatial Awareness and said to him, to Catsy Styley, I've got this bonkers idea. What I want is for people on the front line to be able to tweet what they're needing and for me to be able to put it on a map. How can we do that? Um, we had a really long chat and he asked me lots of difficult questions because he always does and he's a geek. And, uh, and then I didn't hear from him for the rest of the day, so I thought he'd disappeared. Quarter to 12 that night. Which I day are we at, talking about, Cass? This was about four weeks ago. Okay, so we're talking uh, the very beginning of uh, April. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the quarter to 12 at night, I get an email from him, and he's already got a team working on it. And so then the journey starts. So suddenly this kind of bonkers idea 
Um, then I get another technologist who jumps in, who then is literally staying up day and night to make this platform work. And we get a PR agency and a media agency and a market research agency. And there's volunteers coming out from out the woodwork. So two and a half weeks later, we launched the platform, um, which allows people on the front line to tweet. <clears throat> and we have to use Twitter because it's the only open platform. The rest of them are kind of walled gardens. They can tweet a selfie of themselves, hashtag frontline map, hashtag their work postcode so we can make sure that they actually work at a hospital or a hospice or whatever, and hashtag whatever it is they need. Um, and we take those tweets and we put them on the map. So we've got the nation, the very first ever national map of PPE needs from the front line. And it's a very... Uh, you know, for having obviously looked at it, it's a very um, appetizing map. And it's right, and you look at it and there's like this number, if you just make England or Britain small, and then it, and you, you expand it with your fingers. And then all of a sudden the numbers split out into little Swansea, little this, little that there. And, and you start seeing all the little numbers around. It's, it's really, it's fun and playful. I invite people to, to listen, to check it out. It's, it's amazing. And so, you know, so within a week, and we literally, we just put it out, you know, and uh, then within a week, well, now it's been up for about two weeks and we've had 850 items requested by people on the front line, which is extraordinary, you know, considering we haven't even started with a push yet, which starts on Monday. Um, so the other thing we're doing is then that we, all of these suppliers, all of these suppliers that would never find their way onto the supplier list for the NHS, they're also signing up. So um, yesterday we launched the new version of the site because we don't hang about, where you can literally either look at the need wherever it is, whether it be from people in care homes or hospitals, whether they be in Cornwall or Scotland, uh, and you can break out exactly what items are needed in which place, or you can switch the map and start to see where the suppliers are. So our dream is in, you know, as more and more data comes in, you'll be able to click on the map and go, there is a healthcare worker who doesn't have PP1 masks in Huddersfield. Three miles down the road, there's a supplier. You explain to me why those two people can't <laughs> help each other out here. You know, there's, yeah. so it's a very, very interesting use of live open data it's, to it's show... It strikes me, Katz, that this is a project of networking. You, at, at, at the one hand, you have people who are in need in specific areas that I, I'm going to have to guess have a boss or have someone to whom they probably said this. And so you have to sort of, let's say, duck that issue. You need to get to those people that need it and want to talk about it. Then you have the people who are manufacturing it. Uh, but they might be in Huddersfield, Sheffield, or wherever. And then you need the people, the logistics, to make the final connection, the three miles you're just talking about from there to there. You have to presumably also deal with authorities and and somehow, you know, what role will they play or how can we shield from them? And then you actually have to get the word out. So you need people like Minter or or the BBC, <laughs> to help get the word out. So you've got to network this entire gang. I mean, it's United, not United Nations, it's United Britain, as far as this is concerned. And I know you're also hoping for it to be used elsewhere, but that, that's what I see you're trying to do. 
Yeah, and it's 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 not not complex. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably missed out a few uh, few people and 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 stakeholders and 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 yeah. necessary. So tell tell us more about this network and who you need. Where where are the punch holes and where the, the what do they call the blockages? Where where do you need the most amount of undoing? Like like chiropractor, where where's the, the you know the bones that we need to shift a little bit? So um, so we at the beginning of this program, and I am by the way not knocking the NHS or the government because I can't imagine what stress they're under, and I'm sure that there is no one in any position of power that's wanting to do the wrong thing but it's complex and it's a mess. And the procurement frameworks that we've built over the years are not best suited to being able to deal with crisis quickly. Um, and so we took the executive decision of building them up and getting it out there. And our hope is that, and it's already happening, um, the more and more people see that live data actually isn't that frightening. Live data is, bloody useful if you want to see a version of the truth that actually might help you make a better decision we we've decided to just get out there start letting people use it uh, market the shit out of it you know and so on monday a beautiful story as i say you know i mean the, the feeling of volunteerism this kind of dunkirk spirit that's rising up is just so beautiful so um, a couple of things one of them is we launched the map we're not exactly sure how it's going to work uh, but we know that if you allow people to see live data from the front line, we believe people will rally around to try and solve those problems. Let's give it a go, see what happens. So then uh, one of the people who volunteer uh, through Difference Makers is in New York. Uh, she's one of our project managers. Uh, she then introduces me to this chap called Rob Noble. Rob Noble owns a company called Group of Humans. He's also an entrepreneur. Um, he is watching, he now lives in, in the US, but he's still Brit and he cares about the frontline workers. So he's thinking, what can we do about this situation? So his best friend, who is in Norfolk, um, manufactures most Norfolk, of the- Norfolk, England. Norfolk, England, There's Norfolk, yes. Virginia for others and so on. It is not that one. It not is there. So, so, um, so uh, he, his friend, Andy, best friend from school, owns factories which manufacture most of the flags and car stickers that people buy at big conferences and big events and football matches. And as an example, he sold a million car flags over the Euros, right? Clearly people aren't buying so many, many football things or conference things at the moment. So his factories are going, eh, what can we do? So these two guys go, got an idea. What we're gonna do is we're gonna manufacture, set up a not-for-profit, we're gonna manufacture Caregiven uh, merchandise, which is using the rainbow, the supporting the NHS stuff. For every pound that is spent on car flags, car stickers, and it's called caregiven, caregiven.co.uk. Uh, for every pound that's spent, we're just going to take all of that money and turn it into PPE. So we're bypassing the traditional procurement methodologies. We're taking money straight from people and we're putting it straight back to where they want it to go. Um, the only problem they had was how do they figure out where the need is? Oh gosh, there is Frontline Live. So um, on my last 
You know, I do 10,000 steps a day. I'm allowed to do that during you know, the lockdown. So the last Saturday, I'm on a phone with a guy who lives in America, who's a Brit, who's come up with this project. And we agree within an hour, we're gonna partner because clearly we know where the problem is. They've got the free PPE. So we're like, that sounds like a partnership. That, that was agreed in an hour, that got launched. And then I'm thinking, well, how do we get people to know? Because this is a massively scalable program. And I always say it's as scalable as the generosity of the British spirit. You know, the more you put, the more you buy this stuff, the more PPE the front line gets. Um, so I phone up a friend of mine who owns Ocean Outdoor who is the biggest digital out of home or one of the best digital out of home companies and another friend who runs Voodoo, which is another company. Anyway, but you know, within quarter of an hour, they're saying, we'll give you our screens. So on Monday, and it, like I say, it's just, these people are fiercely commercial, but for this one moment in time, we've got this spirit, which is all about, do you know what? Damn it. We're just going to focus on the stuff that matters. And the stuff that matters is making people feel safe. I have an observation, Kaz, which is that many people uh, through this process have obviously their fears, but there's also a, a an element of, of feeling helpless. Yes. And and so, well, I will follow the orders, yes or no, depending on the country in which people are who are listening to this uh, are experiencing it. But this notion of, well, what can I do? And at some level, I, I refer to the toilet run, toilet paper run, sorry, <laughs> as a, an, a type of action that some decided. Because, well, I remember my grandmother needed toilet paper in the Second World War. That's what I should be doing now. So it's actually a completely senseless run to go and get 10 years worth of toilet paper. But it was an action. That's, that's, the, that's the apparent rationale I, I understand as, as to why this happened. And, and, but the point underneath it, which I thought was interesting, which is need to act, the need to do something. And so there, there was plenty of need underneath there, but what do I do? And so what you've got is you've, you sort of galvanize some group of people that are able to then dedicate and feel good about themselves as well, as well as doing something useful. Oh, completely. It's given people, you know, and, and one of the things, you know, according the Bible, according to Beep, is this idea that if people can rally around to try and solve problems together, that's when we're at our best. That's when humans are at our absolute best. And yeah, I've, I've never experienced anything like it in my lifetime. So on one hand, you're right, this feeling of hopelessness and sadness and disempowerment, and then this energy that comes from bringing these people together to do something concrete is extraordinary and it's a physical manifestation of everything that i've talked about for years mm. you know it's a this purpose drives productivity purpose and passion drive productivity and it, it, it's all happening so this is this is recorded on saturday the second of may we're going to be publishing it on the third sunday of the may and on monday this goes live Tell us what we can do, anyone's listening to this, to help. What would be useful things for anyone? Propagate, contribute, what, what can people do? Okay, so if you are or if you know anybody who works on the front line who has a lack of PPE, you can either, well, the best thing to do is for them to tweet 
uh, with a selfie and three hashtags. Those hashtags are hashtag frontline map, all one word, frontline map, because it's frontline live and it's a map. Um, hashtag work postcode, so we can make sure that you actually work at a hospice or a care home or a hospital. Hashtag whatever it is you need, latex gloves, hand sanitizer, PP1 mask. Um, tweet that at us, we will put that on the, the map. That means that suppliers can see you. So presumably if the frontline worker isn't on Twitter, the friend can show them or do that for them. Exactly that. Right, so that's one if, thing people can do. Go ahead. So that, that if people don't feel comfortable to report their need in a public way, they can go to frontline.live and fill in the form and report anonymously. Now, one of the things that we found, uh, which makes me deeply sad, is that nearly 60% of people have chosen to report their needs anonymously. Um, right. now, this is what we were talking about before, about the, well, A, maybe they're not on Twitter, but B, their bosses, they're worried that the bosses are going to slam their fingers because they, they've asked for it, they didn't get it, and now they running around absolutely mm -hmm. but um there was also interestingly there's there was a court case recently that um said by law everybody has the right and they are protected by whistleblower laws to say what their problem is now because of this partnership we've got uh basically if people want pp1 masks the more people who report their need from that organization the more chance we will have of being able to get this free PPE to them. So um, what will happen with caregiven.co.uk, I'll come back to that in a second, is that at the end of every day, we'll download the data and let Caregiven know which organizations need those masks most. So it gives Prioritizing people- Prioritizing them, is that what you're saying? Well, no. but it's just saying, if, you know, if you're an organization and you need them, you need to report them. And you know what? We're going to be able to deliver them to you as well. So we're hoping that that will shift that mindset and get people to more, uh, to, to tweet about it and feel safe to do that because actually they're helping their organization and each other to do that. Um, if you're a supplier or you know somebody who is working to uh, find ingenious ways of getting the PPE through to um, our frontline workers. There's a form on frontline.live that you can fill in and we will put you on the map. So the other thing you can do, and this is something that everyone everywhere across the UK and beyond who want to actually help for front care work, frontline healthcare workers, go to caregiven, .co.uk and buy merch, buy merchandise. Every one pound you spend, not only will you get a car flag that shows that you've actually put money into supporting our frontline workers, every pound that you spend will be turned directly into PPE, which will go directly to the frontline and will not get caught up within the bureaucracy and the madness that is the NHS. So Katz, you, you also have talked about hoping that this is an open project, other countries could be involved. And I'm thinking specifically of countries that are maybe still a little bit further down the road. And in a, I'm thinking obviously mostly about the developing world, which is sort of waiting for this to hit them. Are there, are there any other countries that have come on board? And or how would another country start this? Do they need to have clones of you? 
sitting in uh, Mumbai or something? So basically, the, the platform is built on a platform called Ushahidi, which was made for kind of community action. Um, so we've built the entire thing so that it can be easily replicated. And our dream is that people will pick up frontline and do, you know, so we've got people that we're talking to in New York uh, who want to take it over there. And let's be honest, this is something that's going to happen for the next month, two months, three months, probably a year and a half. But this is not the end of this. This is the beginning of a bunch of things that are going to be happening. This sort of, there's going to be a new normal after this. So the more people we can get to realize that it's a really good idea to get data from the front line, and it can only make people make better decisions, the better the world will be, in our humble opinion. So we are super, super open to hand over all of our stuff. It's all in GitHub. It's as open source as it can be. Anyone who wants to pick up the model, the assets, and run with it, we would be delighted. And at the moment, we're just wanting to make sure that the model is rock solid, so we literally can hand it over to people. So on Ushahidi, uh, I, I met the founder of Ushahidi, and, and I actually know the founder's story of how that came around in Kenya. It's fascinating. And so that's really cool. Um, Julia, Julia Rotich? Yeah. Was, yeah, I brought her over to the UN, actually. She's an incredible woman. Yeah. Um, and um, so I'll put all the show notes necessary for all this, uh, these links so that people, if they know anybody, can go in and find this in minterdial.com, which will be where the show notes are. What about um, things you've learned, Katz? As in, you know, because if we're, let's say, meta, you and I, and, and generally speaking, we're, we're trying to help people through change. And how, how what, what are the things that you've taken away in terms of maybe just personally you've learned about how change happens. You mentioned this has been a difficult, it's not, not an easy or a simple project, but what, if, you're, if you're a businessman sitting, in, or a business person, sorry, listening to this somewhere, what kind of pearls or thoughts go through your mind as to what you have learned in this process? It's, uh, as I say, it's been the most extraordinary manifestation of something I've always believed to be true and proved on a on smaller scales many times that listening to the front line is not a scary thing listening to the front line can only make things better because actually if you can see the problem you can solve the problem and the caregiving um, partnership is one of many 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 that are happening as soon as people can see the data, they've come back and said, we want to partner with you. So as an example, uh, we're working with organizations that are also looking for need. They're gonna give us their data so that we can aggregate it. Getting the data from the front line is extraordinarily powerful for any organization, anywhere, because you've got two choices. You either put your fingers in your ears, don't listen to people and just carry on doing what you know to be best as a senior leader. Or you allow people to be honest about the little things that can be improved across your organization. And by listening to them, you can figure out where they are. And every little complaint, every little problem is an opportunity for continuous improvement. And this is the biggest man. It's the biggest opportunity to show that by doing that uh, could ever have happened. It reminds me of um, the, let's say, the idea of surveys. 
because in 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 a, in big organizations, well, we're going to do a survey to understand uh, what the customer's thinking, because in lieu of listening to the front line, I bypass them and I go directly to the customer and I have the customer tell me, and it takes sixteen you know, different meetings to get the survey approved and it gets sent out and it's a sample and it comes back and then you digest it. Oh God, don't want to show that because my boss is going to be upset. And anyway, we finally get this information. This is what we're going to do based on the survey because now we know what the customer wants. Or we listen to the frontline. Yet there's another example, which is the usage of, of artificial intelligence. And there are different tools out there for example to help you understand how your ads should be formulated so you can then you do a marketing program you test a b and then you go back and say well we like the red one and not the blue one or that's what they liked and then in this particular era if you are doing tests a b whether you should do a red ad or a blue ad well by the way you know a week later that's just exactly. out of it's out of date as a as even a concept, which of course you're never even going to get the results. So AI can be a result to allow you sort of be closer to the data. So what you're doing is actually not with AI, I'm guessing, but more about allowing things to bubble up at the front line quickly, directly. So that's where the, the live open data component of what you're doing is interesting. So you're allowing the front line to show up live so it's now the truth or at least a truth it's a a reality that would otherwise have taken sort of smoke screens and bureaucracy and testing surveys which is how we other otherwise like to operate and so for me the way the takeaway i'm taking is yeah go to the front line but also allow for the information to be live and and you know immediate because especially in crises there's you know time is of the essence and time is of the essence, no matter what you're doing. If you have to deal with people, customers, if that customer isn't getting the experience they want and you're not getting that message back because you're not listening to your front line, that's just downright stupid. Catsy, let me have you on the show. I'm going to put all this in the show notes and get this up uh, Sunday morning so everyone can go on their 10,000 step walk <laughs> well, because <laughs> you have that opportunity. Um, wishing uh, you continued success on your, the other thing that I, I think is, is important is, is this notion of adding purpose and passion. Uh, and, and that also gets things done. So congratulations for what you're doing. Um, Frontline.live is your, uh, your hub. Uh, I'll put all the show notes in the back end. Anything else you'd like to add? Just tell everybody you know who's on the front line or anybody you know who might know somebody who's on the front line because we need to get them the protective equipment that they need to keep them safe. This is about people. And if someone is listening in from the States or India, as I know that there are, um, how, how, who should they go to to connect and understand how they can maybe use, become the cat's keely of, of their place? Um, cats at wearebeep.com that's cats with a k and a z silly name but it's mine at wearebeep.com always happy to, to respond brilliant thanks a lot Catsy. thank you mentor thanks for having listened to this recording of the minter dialogue show you'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com if you enjoyed the show please head over to itunes to give a rating and review and to finish here's a song i wrote with stephanie singer a convinced man.
Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.